This week on a lively experiment, Governor Raimondo introduces Rhode Island's new education commissioner. Will she be what the state needs? And the American Trucking Association's lawsuit gets tripped up in federal court. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by... For 30 years, a lively experiment has been helping us understand the most important issues facing Rhode Islanders. Hi, I'm John Hazen White, Jr., and I'm proud to be a sponsor of this great program. Joining us with their insights, Michelle Smith, Associated Press Correspondent, Dan McGowan, reporter for WPRI, and former State Representative Dan Riley. Welcome, everyone. I'm Jim Hummel. It is great to have you with us this weekend. If you're scoring at home, it's the state of Rhode Island 1 and the American Trucking Association 0 for now. This after a federal court judge dismissed the trucking industry's lawsuit challenging the installation of tolling gantries last year. Judge William Smith said the case would be more suited to state court. And now the truckers will have to decide if that's an avenue they want to pursue. Michelle, let's start with you. Uh, I know your colleague Jen McDermott had written about this this week for the Associated Press. Um, I don't know. We've been waiting for this decision, but this is a major step now. And now the, mm-hmm. the court goes, the ball goes back to the truckers' court. That's right. They have to decide if they want to either uh, take what Judge Smith said and bring it over to state court and try to file a suit there, or they could also appeal it to the appeals court in Boston. Um, They haven't said which way they're going to go. I I don't think they're going to give it up. They're going to probably do one of those two things. The stakes are really high because it's not just about Rhode Island now. Connecticut now is considering tolling proposals. Um, Governor Lamont in Connecticut put forward two plans. One would just toll, toll trucks and one would toll everyone. So it's not just about Rhode Island. It's big money for the trucking industry. The, the federal court, that's always a bit of a slippery slope because if, if a judge rules, it's kind of hard for the appeals court unless it's really good merit. So do you put your time and energy there or do you go to state court? I think it's worth an appeal here. Good. I mean, there are core constitutional <laughs> questions that the American Trucking Association raised in the suit, and they're not suited for state court. Judge Smith basically said the Tax Injunction Act Uh, which is a federal law, preempts this and says it's a state law question, but it's really not. They're talking about the Interstate Commerce Clause. They're talking about the Dormant Commerce Clause. And I think having been there during that debate, I think there are some very good arguments on the truckers' behalf. You know, your position on truck tolls notwithstanding, the way the law was written and how it is being implemented, I think, raises some rather significant potential constitutional questions. And the fact that other states want to actually follow Rhode Island's uh, lead on this, I think, is all the more reason for the federal courts to actually set a hard and fast rule because you have decades of case law that it has really gone every which direction. But when you look at that, those cases applied to the Rhode Island statute, I think there are a lot of open questions. I think the federal courts have to resolve that, particularly if other states want to go down this route, or else there are going to be other issues that other states are going to face. Judge Smith, in his decision, had said basically that the, the toll is essentially a tax. And so that it's a state, the state levying a tax, and state taxes are, need to be decided. Were you within surprised state by court. that ruling? That he I, went the tax route? That he carved out that? Yeah, reasoning? I, I was. It, it, I mean, his reasoning on the Tax and Injunction Act isn't incorrect, but the Tax Injunction Act is preempted by a constitutional 
clause, right? The, the, the interstate commerce clause. So I don't really see how the, the, the federal statute um, has to be controlling here when there's a, a question of constitutional concern that can only be raised in the federal court. You know, if you think about it from the state perspective, it's clearly a, a, a victory for the governor in, in this case. But uh, you're right. I mean, I think something. I think it's going to continue to go on. And I'm curious if it if they appeal federally, would it just again potentially get kicked back? And so, if you're trying to exhaust all legal options, I suppose you do the appeal on the federal level, and then you end up still having the, the fight in, in state court, right? Yeah. So it'll. I mean, it, from here we'll appeal to, or they would appeal to the first circuit if they go that route in Boston. And and the first circuit's interesting because all of those toll cases throughout the years, which we did some pretty significant research on when when we were debating this in the House, uh, the circuits are really split on a lot of different questions pertaining to tolls and how states have applied them to interstate highways over the years. And in some cases, they've found in favor of uh, the anti-toll plaintiffs and in other uh, instances, they found in favor of the states. Uh, the First Circuit hasn't really had a case like that. Um, so the, it would really be, I, I think, a case, to fir- case of first impression with them. Certainly, it potentially could set it up for a decision that is not in favor of the truckers again, and they could try to take that to the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, but, it, you know, at, at its core, they have a constitutional case, and that's one that really has to be litigated in the federal courts, and I don't think the state courts are really equipped to, to handle that. And Connecticut's looking at both, as you had said. The, the, the issue is not tolling everybody. I mean, if they did that in Rhode Island, you wouldn't have this issue with the truckers. They're looking more for revenue because they're in a huge hole right out there, right? Yeah, and, and they, they governor there put forward two separate <laughs> plans, and, um, I, and one of the plans seems to be moving forward. That's the plan to toll everyone. And the reason because it could raise almost a because, billion, eight hundred million dollars. Right? That's right. And and the governor said basically, you know, if he had run on just tolling trucks, but then he said, well, we won't have enough money if we just toll trucks. It's not gonna it's not gonna help us enough. So that's what they're looking at more seriously. It'll be interesting if they go the route of of tolling everyone and then Rhode Island is still, you know, focusing solely on the truckers. The the other element to this is that a lot of the constitutional arguments didn't have to do necessarily with trucks versus cars. They would still apply if that same law were applied to cars versus trucks. There are things like a toll cap, which limits the total amount of tolls one can be charged during a day. Federal courts have ruled that inherently unconstitutional because a local driver who's driving throughout Rhode Island many miles per day is going to hit that cap a lot faster than someone coming from out of state going through also hitting that cap. So it amounts to a de facto much lower per mile tax for a local resident than an out-of-state resident, and that is discriminating against people coming in from out-of-state conducting commerce. So that would apply even if cars were being told as well. Would you recommend that the uh, the uh, state keep this uh, revenue in escrow <laughs> for now? <laughs> we, we, I mean, we, we had said that. I don't know if the federal courts would force the state to pay it back, or would they strike down the tolling scheme as unconstitutional, then leaving the state with a lot of debt they issued back by the tolls, which now they can't actually uh, they can't actually use. All right, to be continued. Uh, big news in the education front this week, Governor. Mundo announced her new choice for commissioner to succeed uh, Ken Wagner on Helica Infante Green. Dan, I'm not going to set the table because you have written extensively about this. We appreciate your work. Um, I had heard that this was not a surprise, certainly, to people no. like you. Linda Borg has been covering this. Her name has been floated about. Yeah, if you think about, and we're taping during the week of the NCAA basketball tournament, she's like a top recruit. She's, she's a member of this national group called Chiefs for Change. She's been seen as a rising star in the education world, particularly in New York. She was a fine, uh, one of three finalists for the Massachusetts commissioner's job. Uh, and, and Linda Borg from the Journal and I have, have been 
asking about her, I would say, since probably just after Thanksgiving. Because she was a runner-up in Massachusetts, that, which is the gold standard that's for right. us. Right? And she, had, she was floated potentially for the chancellor of New York City, although the, the mayor there wanted to go in a different direction. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think she's somebody who comes in with uh, a, a, a steep background in, in uh, English language learners. That's where Rhode Island, that's one, it's Rhode Island's biggest uh, growing student population. It's also where our biggest achievement caps are. You're, you're talking uh, for English language learners, uh, kids performing significantly worse than um, than, than students who, who speak English as a first language. So she comes in with this uh, pedigree, uh, some proven results, though New York is a difficult place to be an education uh, official. So, uh, you know, it, it sounds like the right rollout. There's been some questions about whether it was really just tailored for her. Um, the governor, I believe, interviewed three people for the job. She's not naming the other two. But it was, it's been very clear for a while that uh, Ms. Infante Green is going to be, was going to be the uh, the next commissioner. You know, I, I think the uh, uh, it's certainly there's reason to be optimistic that you know we have a strong leader coming in from out of state. Not the first time we've done this, but I think the the important thing that education reform act- advocates would always say is we have to come up with a plan and stick with it. And that will involve leadership that's going to change, but we still have to have them applying the same plan over years and years and years. That's what's worked in Massachusetts, and that's the only thing that's going to work here. So I think, you know, as we've started to make reforms over the past few years, we haven't completely adopted what Massachusetts has done. I think the important thing with the new commissioner is to say we have to keep going on the path we're going, you know, continue to make certain improvements to really adopt that Massachusetts model, which I think a lot of people in government want. Uh, but that has to be able to transcend different leaders coming. And it hasn't, the, but hasn't, the, I don't know if it was when you were there or after you were left, the General Assembly's gotten involved. Yo, it at pre- times. predated me while I was there since then. Right, so let, let you do your thing, but we really don't want you to do your thing, right? Right, I mean, it was an issue with Deborah Gist, right? It, 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 it was an issue before Deborah Gist, and, and it's since been, we have a, a legislature that, you know, the, the law allows them to jump in. Of course, they can, you know, they'll change the law to jump in if they want to. But, you know, at the same time, Massachusetts and their major reform effort started and has, has the, the bedrock of that has been legislation. It wasn't through regulatory changes. They just created that, that you know, the, the system and they allowed it to work. So it's not that the General Assembly doesn't have a role to play here, but you need a commissioner to come in who is able to, to tell the assembly, listen, you have a role, and then I have a role, and we have to make sure that line is crystal clear. Well, and one of the, one of the really interesting things about the new commissioner is going to be that she's going to have children in the public school system, uh, she'll be the first in a very long time. Deborah Gist didn't have, Ken Wagner doesn't have kids. And I think what she's going to be able to do, or at least what she's going to try to do, is go up and really take on the legislature when they push back at, at some of the, the measures that she wants to push. She, she's been pretty consistent that she doesn't want to change the test. She wants to keep the same standards that are in place. It's really about implementation now. Um, but, you know, you always do have the legislature kind of uh, wanting to creep in and, and, and pass bills and, and, and have their say, I think she's going to be, it's going to be very interesting to watch how she interacts with, with the General Assembly. All right, folks, it's been a number of weeks since we've said the words 38 <laughs> studios, but you knew that the ghost of 38 studios past would come back at some point. Michelle, you wrote about, um, they had a settlement with Wells Fargo. I didn't even know this was still, that yes. anything was still yeah. pending. It's the very last legal battle on 38 studios. This is the, it? Th- well, it's Almost over, but uh, the Security and Exchange Commission and Wells Fargo 
just this week settled um, the SEC's lawsuit against Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo agreed to pay an $800,000 penalty, a civil penalty. Um, so that is over, except there is one last defendant. It's a Wells Fargo banker who was one of the people who was sued by the SEC. Individually? Um, individually. He was, he, the, the SEC sued the state um, and Wells Fargo and this banker and uh, a couple of people from the um, EDC. And those have all settled. So now the very, very, very last <laughs> legal battle is the SEC against this Wells Fargo banker. His lawyer told me yesterday he's going to fight it. He is not going to settle. Oh, um, and so he's going to file this month to try to get the judge to throw it out. Do we know where that fine money goes? It doesn't come to us, It goes us, to right? the SEC. Oh, that's yeah. too bad. We could have <laughs> used it in addition to the $65 yeah. million. Do you know whether we've paid? we still got a couple of years left, right, on the on the payoff. Does anybody know? Yeah, there's, yeah. A, there's still a couple of years left, I yeah. believe, right? We're, we're on the, we're, we're almost to the end. I think it was in, I maybe in the five-year outlook of, of the budget, we'll have it paid off, but we still have payments. What's the, the over-under on the specter of 38 Studios <laughs> continuing for another <laughs> well, five, ten years? You assume Michelle's going to break the story when the, the SEC eventually, <laughs> and then 20 years or so probably we'll still this be talking about it. This is the anniversary of the last signing. I think we'll be talking about it, I, you know, probably not writing very many more stories about 38 Studios, but I think we'll be mentioning it in... Rhode Island political history for many, many years to come. Yeah, I mean, legally, the statute of limitations federally and, and in Rhode Island is running or, you know, has run on a lot of the things that potentially could have been involved. You know, over the years, we've had the civil case. We've, you know, talked about we had a grand jury convened, right, obviously didn't hand down any indictments. So, you know, those things will go away because they will have to. Legally, there won't be anything that really can be done at that point. Politically, I, I mean... The, the debate comes up every year. Pick your issue. And the argument becomes 38 Studios. And you know what? It, the people who have raised those arguments, I've been that person before. I think that the core of it is if you don't want to hear it, the legislature had a duty to investigate it, like they did with the Tights Commission, right, uh, after the RISDIC crisis. And that was an opportunity to put that to bed, right? We, we, you know, we got out of the, the state regulatory you know, scheme that we had before, but we still have banks in this state. And we don't look at RISDIC and use that as a reason to not do things today. Because I think the public has the sense that we had a, a full airing of the issues um, and, and we got to the bottom of what had happened. I don't think anyone has thought that about 38 Studios. But the governor in her first run, I mean, think of this. this we're in two election cycles now, said absolutely we're going to launch an investigation to get to the bottom of this. Now I realize campaign you know, rhetoric and whatever, but I think that left a bad taste in some It's one of the reasons mouth. why we're still talking about it. I exactly. Think, right, to that point. I know, I think we know this whole right. deal about, well, it costs so much money. Well, we can spend $10 million for this or another right. program, but that was going to be a $2 million well, Luckily, when Dan runs for governor in 20 years, oh, he'll oh, investigate oh, it, right? <laughs> Look, the, and, and the governor has uh, several million dollars at the Office of Internal Audit. She has the state police. She has lawyers in every department. If they wanted to investigate this, they could investigate this. And that's not a, a General Assembly Tights Commission-like entity. That's just right. the governor being able to use her inherent executive authority to do it, and she chose not to. And I think that leaves a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. Well, and separate from whether there should be more investigation is just the you know the specter of 38 studios you can see it in so many things that have happened like the paw socks um 
I, I think that's the that, second most thing we've talked the, about <laughs> over the last year. Right, so you now have gotten 38 <laughs> studios in the Paw Talk. Yeah, you. and and but I I mean I I think with what happened with 38 studios and then the Reds, you know, the Paw Socks come in asking for a lot of money. You cannot ignore um, the the that cloud that 38 studios cast over any kind of deal where the state is ponying up money for a private interest, especially in that amount of money that we were talking. All right. The governor, uh, about a year ago, said she couldn't imagine renewing the contract for UHIP. For those of you not on the inside, it's called R.I. Bridges now. I'm not sure who who except the governor's people calls it that. That's my little editorial comment. Uh, The governor came out and said, we're going to renew it. Um, th- we've made great strides. We've gotten concessions. I think a lot of the reporters, Dan, have been trying to figure out what you know. What is this? Who's winning? Some of this is spin, but we're staying with Deloitte. Yeah, I mean, it's. It, I think the challenge is, and I saw the governor's former communications director kind of uh, tweeting about this. That one of the challenges that all states have with technology is there are only a few major players that you have to go with, and I think that's what the state kind of realized. They didn't. I'm Where sure. Where else do you go? Right. I'm sure the governor didn't necessarily want to bring Deloitte back, but. There are only a few that can do it. Do you start over? Uh, it's a difficult decision because there's no question that Rhode Island, real people have been hurt and uh, and and it's been a, a you know a real a, very much a disaster in a lot of ways. But I think you tried to get the best deal you could. Yeah, and if you start over, how much more money right. is that going to cost? Right. I, that I think that's the the decision they were facing. Um, it, it just to bring in a whole new company. I, you're, what are you going to do, build a whole new system? Right. I, it, it's very difficult to, to bring someone new in sure. at this point. I, I think the larger problem here, the larger issue, is that is just what Mike Rea, the governor's former communications director, said on Twitter. And, and he has a point when he said that. It's that we go to these large legacy companies to build these large legacy Trust systems. Them, right? Or not. There's just <laughs> the, only, the only people, the only game in town, which is another problem. The, I think the larger issue here is whether or not we stay with Deloitte, whether or not this was a good deal. It's how do we procure information technology. Nothing has changed as a result of this experience that will affect how we go buy big computer systems down the road. So whether or not we fix all of the problems with UHIP, we replaced uh, a bunch of different systems with a gigantic legacy system that will have to be fixed and replaced over the years. By its very nature, when you have a company like Deloitte or HP come in and build a system like that, it's designed for Deloitte or HP to come in and fix it over the years. That's where they make their money on these deals, not on the initial contracts. That's going to pose a big problem for the state. One, costs. We know it costs a ton of money. And two, it it really impedes the ability of the state to flexibly deploy technology like you see in the private sector, like you see sometimes at the municipal level, Um, sometimes in state government. When the Ethics Commission wanted to put all of the filings online. online. They did that internally, right? right? And, you know, it's things like that. Those are the little successes we need to applaud, but those are the things we need to roll out at the big departments like HHS. I don't get a sense, though. You know, the big hue and cry of a year and two years ago, I can't get my food stamps, I can't get through, there's, like, uh, applications stacked up. That has calmed down a little bit, and I don't get the sense, Dan, I don't know if you do, that it's because things are getting better or people are just getting, we've kind of moved on to other stories and people are not, you know, they're just like, it is what it is. Well, I think I think there's two factors. One is is I think it probably has gotten better from the peak kind of crisis mode where people were going without benefits and it was a it was a real issue. And then remember politics has calmed down, right? It's we're not in a, a gubernatorial election cycle, so it's not the thing that everyone's talking about every single day. So I think it's both that it's probably gotten a little bit better, still not perfect. And, you know, you don't have anyone running for office currently. All right. 
Uh, let's go down to Newport. Michelle, you had a very interesting story this week. The Turo Synagogue, which the litigation over, the, over this almost seems as long as the synagogue's been there, which goes back to what? Roger Williams <laughs> arrived and he went to an ecumenical service, right, at the Turo uh, Synagogue. Yeah, uh, so the, there's been this long-running dispute between Turo Synagogue, the nation's oldest synagogue, and um, a New York congregation, uh, which is, happens to be the nation's oldest Jewish congregation. Uh, they've been fighting it out in the courts um, for, for a long for time. seven years, yeah. I, basically seven years. Um, and they, uh, uh, a judge locally had had said the uh, congregants in Newport own own Toro Synagogue, and then that went to the appeals court, and the appeals court said no. The New York congregation owns the synagogue in Newport. Um, Why would they have claim to that? Be going way, it, way back? It goes way, way back to basically when Jews left Newport in the late 1700s, early 1800s, the New York congregation became trustee of the synagogue. And then it's very complicated, but the, the congregation that worships there now became basically tenants of the of the New York congregation. So they've this has gone to the courts actually many times over the last century plus. Um, and they had ho- there was hope in Newport that they could appeal this decision to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court would take it up and say no, Newport owns the synagogue, but the Supreme Court this week declined to take it up. So okay. with that, the so it it's basically that's the end of it. The New York uh, congregation is basically the owners of Turo Synagogue and the people who worship there, who are there every day, are tenants. So Will it change anything practically? It's unclear at this point. Um, the New York Synagogue says uh, basically we uh, wa- we want to continue to keep it open. We want to let them continue to worship there. But they also said if they're not going to respect us, if they're not going to go along with it, we're, we're going to move forward on our own. It's unclear what that would mean. Um, the judge, the Judge McConnell in Rhode Island, who tried the case, he found that there's only one. Um, group in Newport, one one Jewish congregation in Newport, that's this one, the one that worships at Turo. So it's unclear who would step in right. if, um, if, if they couldn't work together. Um, but it's, it's a, it's an, it's a difficult, <laughs> it's a difficult uh, relationship they've got right now for a very um, important uh, place in Newport and in the history of the country. George Washington was there. It's huge tourist destination in Newport. If you ever go there, there's lots of people there. Yeah, every and it's day. right, right in the heart. Right in the of, heart of Newport. <laughs> of Newport. Yeah. Okay. Let's uh, let's go to outrages. Dan, what do you have? Yeah. So we have a new commissioner, obviously coming into Rhode Island, but. I know there's been a lot of talk, including on this show, about uh, the outgoing superintendent in Providence. And there's a lot of talk about the issues that um, force superintendents in Providence to leave. Folks are blaming the city council. I'm here to say, as someone who covers these guys, 
the city council is hardly the reason why we see superintendents leave in, in the city of Providence. Um, you know, it's like having, it, it's an issue that the city council maybe uh, interferes a little bit too much, but um, it's sort of like having a, uh, saying that a team that has no starting pitchers needs to find a closer. Uh, this is a little, little issue. And, uh, you know, I think Providence really needs to find another superintendent who um, is willing to come in, and, and but not you don't need to commit to 10 years and all that kind of stuff and change the city council. What you need to do is, have, is work better with the Rhode Island Department of Education, the new commissioner. I think that's going to be the answer to uh, solving sort of Providence's kind of uh, long-running woes when it comes to the education system. All right. Thank you. Dan, what do you have? I wouldn't say it's an outrage, but it's not a kudos. Somewhere in the middle. We whole, have to come up with a new designation. <laughs> somewhere in the Meh. middle. I mean, it's more towards outrage. But uh, this whole debate over marijuana legalization last night at the House Finance Committee, they had a very long hearing on it. Um, you know, look, this is my issue. We're talking about legalizing something uh, that right now you, you can't use while operating a vehicle. This has come up in the debate many times. How does law enforcement test for the presence of marijuana? If it's a legal substance, what is the limit? How does it how does a law enforcement officer reasonably tell if you're over that limit so we can actually charge people under the statute? Last night, the state police came in and testified in support of the governor's bill without that question really being resolved. Uh, Colonel Manny talked about uh, there being you know, drug recognition experts in the bill and funding for them, and that's why he would support it. Drug recognition experts cannot arrest someone. They cannot determine how much you are, by how much you are they over can just recognize. a limit. They, no, they can recognize it, and that could be probable cause for something else. But for purposes of arresting someone for operating under the influence, it doesn't accomplish anything. So it's a debate that has not been resolved, and I just hope that the legislature uh, takes the you know, appropriate steps and, 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 and treads carefully on this. Okay. Michelle. Uh, my outrage would be, um, it's right over the border in Massachusetts, but in Fall River, the um, cemetery, the Jewish cemetery that was vandalized, I, I even hesitate to even bring it up because it feels like the possible motive could be um, they want attention. Um, but come on. It's just pathetic, and uh, we really, we're better than this, and let's just, anyway, I'll leave it at that. I thought you were going to say the Fall River mayor. Oh, wow. <laughs> the fact that he got recalled and elected all in one fell swoop. That's suit. just a good story. That's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Our age the city yeah. charter. Yeah. Yeah. We have just a couple of minutes left. Dan, while I have you here, let's talk about Providence, because that's your, that's your uh, wheelhouse you have a, a majority female council. I don't know whether that's really mattered. And, and Sabina Matos now is the council president. Yeah. I haven't heard flames coming out of City Hall yet. I haven't heard. So how have things been going in the first couple of months? Yeah, I mean, I think everyone's kind of getting, despite the fact that these people have all kind of known each other for a long time, I think everyone's still kind of figuring out how to, uh, how to work with each other. There's always a conflict with the mayor's office and the city council. It doesn't matter who it is. Um, and it's because the mayor always gets the most attention, you know, one of the most visible statewide politicians. Um, and the city council is, you know, part-time, and they're always kind of saying, hey, look at us, and, and we do work too. So far, Things have been have been uh, really quiet. You're going to see the mayor will, will deliver his budget sometime next month, and so y- things will start to heat up. But so far, it's been really status quo. Dan, what would you like to see? To, you're going to keep your eye on as the session we start to get into the meat of it. Obviously, after April vacation, things will really start to pick up. What legislation 
will you be keeping an eye on? Well, uh, the abortion legislation hasn't gone away. In right? the Senate. Um, yeah. It's in the Senate. hasn't been posted for a vote yet, so you have to wonder if there is, A, a vote-counting issue on the Senate for uh, either side, and that's leading to the delay, and B, if there's now an intra-House Senate issue brewing over that. I was always kind of surprised that President Ruggiero said what he had said prior to the House taking up the bill that seemed to kind of show all of his cards in that, oh, I'd be willing for it to go to the floor. That's unlike him right. on an issue that the House has already said they want. Typically, he's sits back and then lets things happen. So that's going to be interesting because now we're getting into budget season. After we get after, you know, past April break, we'll be in the in the race to the finish. Um, I think marijuana legalization, I don't know if it's there yet. I don't know if the critical mass is really built up. And I know legislative leaders have kind of been a little lukewarm to the proposal. I don't know if that's going to be the big issue at the end. But look, the, all of these other issues, guns we've talked about that, that capture the headlines in, in the beginning of session, are, I think are going to be overtaken by the budget. By the budget. It's, it's, it's not a good budget for anyone. It's not going to be a fun budget to, to pass, and it, it, it has issues. Okay. Folks, that is all the time we have. It's another quick 30 minutes. Michelle and Dan and Dan, we didn't confuse you this time. <laughs> uh, thank you for coming. Thank you for coming back. Hey, if you don't catch us Friday or Sunday, we post all of our programs online. You can watch them on YouTube. Check us out on Facebook and wherever you get your favorite podcast. You can take us with you now in your pocket. Uh, Have a great week, everybody, and come back next week as a lively experiment continues. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by. For 30 years, A Lively Experiment has been helping us understand the most important issues facing Rhode Islanders. Hi, I'm John Hazen White, Jr., and I'm proud to be a sponsor of this great program. 